All right. Well, good morning, Mission Church. Happy Easter. Listen, if you are new here today and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Will and I have the honor of serving as one of the elders and pastors here at the church. And uh, this morning on this Easter Sunday, we are going to uh, switch things up a little bit. So over the past few months, uh, we have been working our way through the letter of Galatians. We have been working our way through Galatians one verse at a time, one chapter at a time. And uh, this morning, the plan was to jump into the next section. So on Friday, we were in Galatians chapter 3, and we were looking at verses uh, 10 through 14. And so the plan was for today to jump into the next section of Galatians. But this week, uh, something happened that uh, changed my mind about the direction that I wanted to go this morning. So for those of you who have been coming pretty regularly, you know that over the past several weeks um, and months, we have been praying for a specific family in our church. Um, we have been praying for the Mellon family. And uh, the Mellon family is made up of Eric Mellon and Ashley Mellon and their three kids and uh, three young kids. And uh, several, several months ago, uh, Ashley was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer. And so for the past several months, uh, her and her family have been walking through uh, the valley that is cancer. And uh, the pastors uh, and elders and I at our church have had to, the privilege of, of walking with them um, in this valley of the shadow of death. And so last Saturday, um, the elders and I had an opportunity to go visit Ashley um, at her house um, and uh, we felt as if based on conversations we were having with uh, Eric, her husband, it felt like she was coming to the end of her time here on earth. And so we went to go, um, we went to go visit her and, you know, sitting, she was on the, the, the recliner in, in the living room and she couldn't move and she lost a lot of weight. And so we all kneeled around her um, and just asked her, we, we looked at her and we asked her, we said, you know, tell us, Tell us how you, how you feel physically, how do you feel spiritually? And so she gave about a two, three minute answer. And when she finished, she said, you know, I'm praising God because that's the longest I've been able to talk in a really long time. I haven't even had the energy to do that. And, um, but one of the things that really stood out to me and to the elders is that we went there uh, seeking to encourage her and to support her and come alongside her. And we were the ones that left. Uh, encouraged and empowered by her faith. And, and this young mom with three young children, um, she, she looked at us and she said, look, I don't know how much time I have left, but I'll tell you what. She's like, it's not the doctors that are gonna tell me how much time I have left. She's like, my days are numbered by the Lord and he's the one that determines when I leave this earth. And she quoted scripture just numerous times throughout our conversation. Um, and at the end of our time together, I, before we prayed for her, we didn't stay there long because we knew that she was low on energy. We, uh, I read to her from 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter talks about how the gospel affects our, our suffering. And um, instead of being bitter or angry about where she was in life, she, I finished reading it and before we got to pray, she said, what passage is that? And uh, I told her and she grabbed her phone and wrote it down. She's like, I'm gonna study that. I'm gonna study that passage. That in that moment, and, and, and literally as she was getting closer and closer to her, 
the end of her time here on earth, she was still turning to Jesus. And she said to me, she said to us, she said, I'm gonna miss my kids. She's like, that's the hardest part about this. I'm gonna miss my kids and I'm gonna miss my husband. And she's like, but Will, I'm ready to see Jesus. I'm ready to meet my savior. And so that was Saturday. And then on Tuesday, we got the news that she passed away and she went to go be with her Jesus. And uh, when I got the news that she had passed, it, was, it went from, it was like there was this fuzziness around what I wanted to talk about today. And, and, and like the moment I got the news, it was, it was like my sermon was already being written. And I felt like Jesus where it says that he set his face to Jerusalem like a flint. It's like I knew exactly what I needed to talk about uh, today. And so yesterday I called Eric, her husband, and the, 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 their family is actually here today. I'm not sure where they are in, in, this, in this room, but they're here for this service and he told me he was coming. And I said, man, I wanna ask permission to share your wife's story because the reason why I'm preaching what I'm preaching on is because of her and because of her legacy and her testimony and what she said to us that night. And he said that, I'm like, I don't wanna catch you guys off guard when you showed up, show up. And he's like, that would mean the world to us. And I know that it would mean the world to my wife because she had made Jesus the center of her life. And so for, for Jesus to be at the center of her passing would, would only make sense. And so talking to a husband who had just lost his wife, and even and one of the things that really got me, we were just crying on the call yesterday. He just got me, she said, he said, you know, he's like, my wife, even as she was dying, she was more aware and focused on preparing us. She was ready. It was us who, who weren't ready. He said, she got into our, our kids into counseling six months before she passed because she knew they were gonna need it. She's like, she had uh, one of her best friends who was gonna sing at her funeral, come and sing the song to her beforehand so that she can prepare to sing the song through tears. She was preparing her friend. And he said, even the fact that my wife died at night was her protecting my kids. And I just think about the fact that she's with Jesus now and, and the boldness that she had, the boldness that she displayed, the courage. Um, hearing her talk about the reality of, of death and yet at the same time talk about her hope of eternal life. And if I felt like I set my face like a flint, she had set her face like a flint, knowing that she was going to see her savior. And so coming out of that this week, I knew exactly what needed to be talked about this morning. And this isn't gonna be your run of the mill uh, Easter sermon. Um, this is gonna be a, a sermon about the reality that every single one of us is going to suffer. If you're not already suffering right now, you are going to suffer. Suffering is not a pause in God's plan. Suffering is a part of God's plan. Hebrews says that it is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. And the person who sits on that throne judging you is not me, it's not you, it's not your family, it's not your employer, it's not your president, it's your God. And so the reality is this. We, a few years ago, we had an opportunity to go through the letter of Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul is writing to a church about suffering. And he's writing to a church about their identity in Christ and the hope that we have in the gospel. And a lot of people may not know this, but the reason why the, the church in Colossae isn't brought up again in the book of Revelation when the seven churches are mentioned 
is because a few years after Paul wrote that letter, there was a massive earthquake that wiped out the entire church of Colossae. Many of the people who received that letter died a few years after Paul wrote that letter. And one of the things I said then, and I'll say it again here, if the preaching that you are sitting under, if you are sitting under any preaching at all, well, the reality is all of us are sitting under preaching. It's just, it's a gospel preaching. But, but every single, whatever preaching you're sitting under, if that preaching isn't preparing you for the earthquakes, then it ain't gospel preaching. It isn't biblical preaching. And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna spend the rest of this day in the power of the Holy Spirit to the best of my ability trying to prepare you for that day because that day is coming for every single one of us. So whether you consider yourself a non-Christian, maybe you're here today and uh, you are not a Christ follower, you don't believe any of this stuff and maybe you're just here out of obligation or because someone forced you to be here. If you are here today, you have an opportunity this morning to respond to the gospel and you're gonna respond one way or the other. The Bible says either your heart is gonna soften or it's gonna harden, but you're going to respond. And whether you reject it or not, I want you to at least reject the real gospel, not a pseudo one that you were taught when you were younger. So if you're a non-Christian today, this sermon is for you. But even if you're a Christian today and you think you're good and you think you have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that we are to make our calling and election sure. The Bible says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And so the reality is, regardless of where you are coming from today, this sermon is for every single one of us, including myself. And so with all that in mind, uh, this morning what we're going to do is we, we are going to revisit a passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Actually, not even a passage, a verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And it's a passage and verse that I felt like I didn't give the attention to that it deserved. And I feel like it's one that really summarizes what I believe we need to reflect on this morning. And so today we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So one verse, Galatians 2, 20. And if you are able, I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. And I know it's just one verse, but it's a verse worth, worth standing for. Paul writes in Galatians 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Everyone say crucified. crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Everyone say by faith. By faith. In the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you that the cross led to a tomb and the tomb led to a throne. And that this morning as we preach Christ, we are preaching a risen Christ, a Christ who reigns on high. And so Lord, I pray that you would enable me to preach with the urgency uh, that is needed this morning. I pray, Lord, that because of the eternal matters that are being discussed today, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, I'm not here to uh, entertain a crowd. I am here to feed the flock. You tell Peter, if you love me, feed the flock. And that's what is gonna happen here today. And I pray, Lord, if there's anything that I say that doesn't come from you, that it would be forgotten. But what is from you, God, I pray that it would be remembered. And not only would it be remembered, that it would, but that it would also be responded to. And Lord, we ask it and we beg it in the precious 
and holy name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Now, from this verse, Galatians 2, verse 20, I believe that we learn two vital and essential lessons about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first lesson, if you are taking notes, is this. You must die with Christ. You must die with Christ. And I say that because this is what it says in the first half of verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But I wanna focus on that first part. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So the first lesson that I believe we must take away from this verse is that you, we, must die with Christ. To be made right with God, to be in right standing and right relationship with God, there needs to be a death. And it's us dying with Christ. But what does that actually mean? Because if you're new to the whole church thing, you've never really been to church before, you're hearing the whole, you have to die with Christ language and you're thinking, is this some sort of cult? Uh, is there some Kool-Aid I got to drink? Like, what is, what is this brother talking about? But, but here's the thing. Before we talk about what Paul actually says, let me quickly address what Paul doesn't say. Sometimes it's just as important to talk about what, is said, what isn't said than it is what is actually said. See, Paul here doesn't say that you are made right with God by walking an aisle or praying a prayer or getting baptized in some water or signing some covenant. See, because when sermons like this are preached, people start to get, they start to get defensive, right? And they go, whoa, 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 who are you to, to call me to, to evaluate my salvation? You don't, even, you don't even know me. My faith is between me and God. And so what happens is when people start getting defensive, Right? They, they, they start to, to present their, uh, their, their religious resume and, and they're like, I'm good with God because I walked the aisle. I, I prayed the prayer. I made the commitment. I got baptized in the water. But what's interesting is that if that's where you go, all you're doing is telling me about what you've done for Jesus, not what Jesus has done for you. If your salvation story, if your testimony is all about what you've done for Jesus, then you don't actually know Jesus. So as we wrestle with this today, I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I really don't even care if you grew up in church. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian, just like living in your garage doesn't make you a car. I'm not asking you about your church attendance. I'm not asking you about your Awana awards. I'm not asking you about your membership role. What I am asking you today is, are you united with Christ? Are you actually united with Christ? See, unfortunately though, many people have grown up hearing not the done gospel, but the do gospel. Hey, do these things and God will love you. Or maybe you grew up hearing the don't gospel. Don't do these things and God will love you. But what you haven't heard is the done gospel. 
they haven't actually explained to you the full extent of the gospel. If, if in your version of the gospel, there is nothing about union with Christ, you don't actually know the gospel. If for you, salvation is a prayer you prayed, a box you checked, an aisle you walked, a commitment you made, and nothing to do with your union with Christ, then that's called theological trauma. You know, we live in a culture that loves talking about trauma, right? And you go to the counselor and the counselor tells you, none of it is your fault. It's your parents' fault. It's your grandparents' fault. It's the culture's fault. We love trauma in our culture. But you know what we rarely talk about? Theological trauma. You know what theological trauma is? Bad theology. And a lot of people have been exposed to bad theology. I was meeting with the guys I disciple uh, a few weeks ago and we were talking about some of them who grew up in church and grew up in churches that weren't actually preaching the done gospel. They had the theological trauma of having to navigate out of a counterfeit gospel. And me and another guy who didn't grow up in church, we were talking about how what's better to, to grow up in, to not grow up in church and have no gospel or to grow up in a church and have a counterfeit one. And we all kind of landed on, it's worse to grow up in one and get the counterfeit one. Here's why, here's why. I was born and raised in Chicago. And in Chicago, Christianity is not strong, it's not vibrant, it's nowhere near to the central, central to the culture, right? And I know that because in Chicago, when people found out I was a pastor, you would get treated like a tax collector. Like everybody would start slow, you know, all my neighbors would back, slowly back up into their garage and close it and, and never wanted to talk to me again. But in Memphis, you find, someone finds out I'm a pastor and you're like a mini celebrity in Memphis, <laughs> right? But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing about being in a Christendom, not Christianity, but being in Christendom, the Christianese culture that we are in. In Chicago, when I would preach, I would get up and essentially just answer people's questions because they didn't really have the answers. But in Memphis, I've had to change how I preach. And here's why, because in Memphis, before I can answer people's questions, I have to question people's answers. Because the, the, what's dangerous about the region that we're in is not that you don't know the gospel, but that you think you know the gospel. So before I can answer your question, I have to question your answer. Because if your answer is not what the Bible says the gospel is, you're in, you're in trouble. And that is theological trauma. And many of us, maybe the reason why you haven't been in church for years is because of theological trauma. You walked away, but you didn't really actually walk away from Christianity. You walked away from a false gospel, from a do gospel or a don't gospel. Here's what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches that when Jesus calls you to himself, he enables you to believe in him. And when you believe in him, you are immediately united with him. You are so united with him that his death becomes your death and his life becomes your life. And the New Testament says that even now we are seated with him at the right hand of the Father. That's how united we are to Jesus. That when you are united to Jesus in that way, you die to your sin and you die to your flesh and you die to your idols and you die to your rebellion and you die to your religion. And Paul says that when you actually have met Jesus, when you actually have come to know Jesus and have become united with Jesus, what you used to count as gain, you now count as loss. 
So what the Bible teaches is that in order for us to really be united with Jesus, there is this process of coming to him and saying, I tried the law and I couldn't do it. The law demanded perfection and I don't have perfection. The law is not, Jesus, a ladder that I climb. It is a mirror that exposes me. It, is a, it, it reveals to me that I am a sinner. The law of God was never meant to save you. We talked about this on, on Friday, that the law is a mirror, and a mirror is very good at revealing your problems, right? When we all stand up, some of us, especially on Easter Sunday, we want to look our best, right? So you got to stay in front of the mirror a little longer, some of us longer than others. But, 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 but the reality is, is that what the mirror does is the mirror reflects back to you the problem, right? But the mirror can't do anything about the problem. It just reveals to you the problem. You don't, you don't look in the mirror and be like, ah, oh, man, I got to fix that. And then put your face on the mirror and start rubbing your face on the mirror, right? No, the mirror reveals the problem, but it can't remove the problem. The law of God was meant to be a mirror. The only thing the law does is reflect to you that you are imperfect, that you are unrighteous, that you are broken and depraved and sinful, and that you have fallen short of the glory of God. And then what the law does, the law doesn't replace Jesus. The law redirects you towards Jesus. It prepares you for Jesus. That's what the law does. It reveals to you that you are a sinner, not just in your external conduct, but in your inward condition. That you are a sinner by birth and through behavior. That you are a sinner at the head, heart, and hand level. And so the, what the law does is the law leads you to the Lord. And when you go to the Lord, you, you find life because you have admitted you're dead. And you find reconciliation because you have admitted that you're an enemy. And you find power because you have admitted that you are weak. And you find rescue because you have admitted that you're lost. Listen, Jesus didn't come to bring advice to good people. He came to bring atonement for dead people. He didn't come to be a moral example for decent people. He came to be a divine rescue for sinful people. And so the problem is, and we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but the problem is, is that here in, in this region, right, you will ask people about their salvation story. And, and many times what you get is not the saving grace gospel, you get the common grace gospel. And, and the common grace gospel, for those of you who don't know what common grace means, common grace is the grace that God shows to everyone on, on, on planet earth. It says that just like the rain falls on the evil, it falls on the righteous. The sun shines on the evil and it shines on the righteous. That's God's common grace. It's God's just common everyday grace. The fact that we're breathing right now is God's common grace, right? But, but, but in order to know Jesus, it's not common grace that saves you. It's saving grace that saves you. And so when I go up to somebody and somebody says to me, oh, well, oh, yeah, I'm good with God. Oh, tell me. Tell me why. Well, you know, I, I walk the aisle and I, and I pray to prayer and I'm a decent person and I try my best and God's been good to me. And so I'm going to be good for him and, and, and he takes care of me and I take care of him. That is not the gospel. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor in London for 30 years, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, he would say that if he would sit down with someone and ask him about their salvation, and they would proceed to tell them all that they were doing, he knew they weren't Christians. Because salvation is not what you do for Jesus, it's what Jesus has done for you. Salvation is not your faithfulness to Jesus, it's Jesus' faithfulness to you. 
And so when you step into the, the, the common grace gospel and it's, you know, God's pretty good and I'm pretty good and it's all good. And so I guess I'm going to get to him because, you know, everything's good. That is not salvation. That gospel leads you straight to hell. Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that no one is good, not even one. Not me, not you, not anybody. So the whole I'm good, he's good. No, no, that's not a thing. And so the only way to be made right with God, I know that someone actually knows the gospel when they start with, you know what? It's, I, I, there's nothing I can bring to the table. I brought absolutely nothing to the table. Martin Luther says the only thing we bring to uh, our salvation is sin and rebellion. It's the person who says, I couldn't save myself. I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't help myself. But praise be to God that Jesus did save me, that Jesus did help me, that Jesus took my curse and he took my wrath and he took my punishment in my place. That's the gospel. That is the saving grace gospel. It's the gospel that makes much of Jesus and little of you. If in your gospel you're still increasing and he's still decreasing, it isn't the gospel. Jesus didn't come to be a moral teacher who instructs you. He didn't come to be a religious example who inspires you. He came to be a substitutionary savior who died for you. And the Bible teaches, this isn't what uh, uh, your favorite political commentator teaches or your favorite false teacher teaches. The Bible teaches that either you die for you or he dies for you. Either you take the curse that you deserve or he takes the curse that you deserve. Either you take the condemnation or he takes the condemnation. Either you are forsaken or he is forsaken. That's why it says in Romans chapter eight that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not those who like Christ, not those who are fans of Christ, not those who go to church once a year to sing about Christ. No, 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 not those that if Jesus was a political candidate would vote for Christ. No, 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 it says those who are in Christ. It's the union with Christ. Are you actually united with Christ? Because you might be sitting here telling me, I know Jesus. But when you get to the end of your life, in the parable that Jesus tells, he's, it doesn't matter if you know Jesus. What matters is, did Jesus know you? You don't get there and he says, oh, you never knew me. No, he will say, I never knew you. You were never united to me. That's why so many people who have prayed the prayer and walked the aisle and have been dunked in the water, they're walking around with this insecurity and this anxiety and this uh, uh, do, don't gospel. And they're marked not by abiding and resting, but by striving and performing. And if, if that's where you are, then what happened, all those things that you did on your religious resume, they are emotional experiences that led to false assurances. And here's what happens when you have emotional experiences, right? At camp and, you know, at the last Easter service and every year you get a little bit more emotion. And it's, here's what happens when you go back to religion instead of turning to redemption. When, when all you have done is turn further into religion, you leave determined but not crucified. You leave religious but not redeemed. You leave committed to living out the do, but not resting in the done. 
And here's how you know if you actually have met Jesus, if you have actually been crucified with Jesus. When you actually have been crucified with Jesus, you go out into the world and you are doing the things for, from salvation, not for it. Because here's why you might be here. You might think if I obey and if I read my Bible and if I come to church on Christmas and on Easter, God will love me. That is not the gospel. That is the, I'm doing for, I'm doing it for those things. But someone who's really been crucified with Christ doesn't do it for salvation. They do it from salvation. They don't do it for God's love. They do it from God's love. I don't obey so that I might be loved. I'm loved, therefore I obey. Dying means to die to my moral performance. It means to die to my lesser than identities. All of us have identities and they're, they're a part of who we are. But the reality is, is that at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter who your spouse is or what your job is or who your kids are. Or it really doesn't matter. All those things, how you vote every four years. At the end of the day, all those identities might describe you, but only one identity can define you. Only one identity can define you. I am either in Christ or I am not in Christ. That's the identity God's going to ask you about when you stand before him one day. So you die to your performance. You die to your identities. You die to the lie of self-sufficiency. And you turn back to his sufficiency because what the Bible teaches is that the law demanded perfection. And praise be to God that our Lord was perfect for us. The law demanded obedience and praise be to God that our Lord was obedient for us. The law demanded my life and praise be to God that the Lord gave his life. The law was our mirror so that the Lord might be our savior. The, Lord, the law killed me so that the Lord might resurrect me. The law revealed my guilt so that I might receive his grace. And the law revealed my, the way of death so that I might turn to the path of life. The law declares us, if you think that you can be made right with God today by your uh, moral performance and your do's and your don'ts, here's what the law says. And, and we've talked about this on Friday. If you think you can obey the law, you don't actually have a high view of the law. You have a low view of the law. Because what the law says is you must be perfect. The law declared us guilty, dead, condemned, and damned. But if you are united with Christ, the Lord declares us loved, accepted, approved, and justified. Amen. Jesus Christ lived the life that we couldn't live. And he died the death that we should have died. And what Martin Luther says is that when we come together, the, the union that we have with Christ is so beautiful. He says it's, it's similar to when a husband and a wife come together. It, you know, who, who, when, when, when a couple comes together, one of the things that we talk about in premarital counseling is you better make sure if anyone has debt. Because if, you, if, if one party has debt, it's going to become everyone's debt when you get married, right? Because the Bible says you go from being one, from being two to being one. Luther, using the example of marriage, he says that when we are united with Christ, we impute to him, we give to him our guilt and our sinfulness, our debt, and then he imputes to us his grace and his righteousness. 
He takes all of our bad and gives us all of his good. And when we minimize the bad news, because here's what happens, and again, theological trauma, maybe you grew up in this. What happens is you, you go to church, right? Even on a Sunday like this, this is, is notorious on Easter Sundays, and, and you go to church, and the pastor, he isn't going to point you to Jesus as your only solution. So, so, so he knows that the end of it is just going to be application on what you do or don't do. So, so he can't make the problem that bad because the solution isn't that good. I can't really tell you what your real problem is, because I'm about to offer you up as the solution. And so every week you come to church and it's three steps on how to handle your money and four steps on how to evangelize and five steps on how to be a better parent. And instead of getting atonement at the end of your sermon, you keep getting application at the end of every sermon. And it's not about what Jesus has done, but about what you continue to do. And, and one of the things that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago is that Jesus, he's talking to the generation, the current generation that's in front of him. And here's what he says to them. He says, when John showed up, John the Baptist, his cousin, when John the Baptist showed up, he preached a funeral dirge. He, he came preaching the bad news and you didn't mourn. Then I showed up and I was preaching and singing the song of celebration and you didn't rejoice. So you didn't mourn with the bad news, you didn't rejoice with the good news. And I was reading this book and what the author said is that when the gospel is truly preached, both have to be present. You need the funeral dirge, the bad news, so that you could have then the celebration music, which is the good news. But here's the thing, in most churches, because you're not getting the done gospel, you're getting the do or the don't gospel, you don't either get, you don't get the bad news and you don't get the good news. You don't get the funeral dirge, you don't get the celebration music. So what the author says is that what most people in America are, think the gospel is, is elevator music. You know what elevator music is, right? It's just background noise. If, an elevator, uh, if elevator music is doing its, no, uh, its, its job, you don't notice it. And for a lot of people, because they haven't heard the, 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 the bad news, the dirge, and they haven't heard the good news, the celebration song, they have this melancholy lukewarm elevator music that's not worth living for, let alone dying for. When sin isn't that bad, salvation isn't that good. And the true gospel message, the true gospel message requires both the funeral dirge and the celebration melody. If not, you have elevator music. And some of you think that's what Christianity is. It's just nice elevator music. It's a part of my religious portfolio and Jesus isn't prominent in my life. He's preeminent. What Paul says is Jesus is either everything or he's nothing. You're either hot or you're cold, but not lukewarm. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his book, he, he was a, a, a German professor, disciple maker during the, the Holocaust, ended up being killed during the Holocaust. He said the, the, the grace, he said this, grace is free to us and costly to Jesus, but grace is never cheap. And a lot of us, what we believe in is a cheap grace where I'm not that bad, so Jesus ain't that good, and it's just a cheap grace. It's free to us, but it costs him everything. So according to the first half of Galatians 2.20, the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to be united by faith with Christ in his death. Now, the second thing that we learn here this morning is that the reason why you must 
die with Christ is so that you may live for Christ. The reason why you must die with him is so that you may live for him. And we see that in the second half of verse 20. Look what Paul writes. He says, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the reason why I use the word you and not the word we, for both, for both lessons that we're learning here, it's you have to be crucified with Christ. It's you may live for Christ. This isn't a, a, a corporate thing. This is an individual thing. And I think a lot of people think they're good with Jesus because their parents are good with Jesus or because their grandparents are good with Jesus. But the reality is it's a decision that every single one of us has to make. And so if you die with Christ, the reason why you die with Christ is so that you may live for Christ. So, so let, me, let, me, let me kind of break it down this way. Let me try to make it as, as easy as possible. If you are not living for Christ, or better yet, if Christ is not living in you, then that means you never were crucified with him. Jesus says that you will know a tree by its fruit. That's what he says. You will know a tree by its fruit. So, so, so my tree will produce fruit if I was crucified with him on that tree. But if I don't, and that's not the life I'm living, then what that means is, did I actually, if I'm not living for him, did I actually die with him? Here's why. Because what Paul argues, not just in this passage, but he argues throughout the entire New Testament, is that Jesus didn't just come to be our pardon, he came to be our purpose. Jesus Christ didn't just come to give you pardon for the next life. He came to be your purpose in this life. Amen. And here's the thing. Many of us, we have heard the, uh, the content of the gospel, and that's even assuming the best, right? But even if you've heard the content of the gospel, not many of us have heard the cost of the mission, the cost of discipleship. And what, what, what's happened in, and again, I can't, I, I can only speak to what's in front of me. I think people can, you know, get offended when I only talk about Memphis and the region that we're in. But when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he talked to them about the Galatians problems, right? When Paul wrote to the Romans, he, wrote, he talked to them about their problems. And so I'm talking to you about your problems because this is where God's called me to be a preacher. But the reality is, is that in the, the, this region that we are in, in, in this region in general, in our city in particular, what you have is a lot of people who are living in Christian ghettos. And they go from Christian schools to Christian Bible studies to Christian after parties, watching Christian movies, listening to Christian radio. And one of the things that we talked about uh, uh, a few weeks ago is that if you're not careful, you can be dancing the Christian choreography without hearing the Christian song. So, so the story that I shared, and I'm going to share it here again, I didn't grow up in church. Church was not a part of my background. So if you didn't grow up in church and this is not uh, uh, something you're used to, uh, that was my story as well. And at 18 years old, the, the Lord, through, just through different things, led me to a church. And I remember I was at a youth retreat and, and, and the gospel was preached. And, and for the first time ever, uh, I heard the gospel song. 
that night I was crucified with Christ and I became alive in Christ. But here's what was so crazy to me. Uh, this church had a youth group and the youth group was filled with a bunch of kids who had grown up in this church and they had gone to Christian school and they knew all the verses and they had done Awana, they had done the whole nine. But what was interesting was even though I didn't necessarily know the Christian choreography, they knew the choreography, they had been taught the choreography. It felt as if I was the only one who could hear the gospel song. They were dancing to the music, but couldn't hear the music. They knew all the choreography, but couldn't hear the song. And even though I still was figuring out the choreography, I felt like the only person who could actually hear the song. And I would look at them and I would say, do you not hear this? Do you not hear how beautiful this is? How incredible this is? And they were bored by the very thing that we are told that angels long to look into. How many of us are doing the Christian choreography? and either have never heard the song or haven't heard it in years. So many people will amen and agree with the first part, that first lesson, right? I have been crucified with Christ. And here's why they like that part. Because crucified with Christ means he's your savior. But they don't like the next part that now I must live for Christ because live for Christ means now he's my Lord. Everyone wants Jesus as a savior for the afterlife, nobody wants Jesus as Lord in the current life. And one of the things that might make you feel better about the first point is that it says that we have been crucified with Christ. The word there, crucified, can almost seem like it's past tense. It happened back then, and Jesus, thank you for allowing me to be crucified with you, and I'll take it from here. I'll do it from here, right? But here's the problem. The word there, crucified, in the Greek is in the present, I mean, in the uh, uh, perfect tense. And here's why the perfect tense is so important. Because what the perfect tense in Greek means, it, it, it implies a, uh, an event that happened in the past that still has implications in the, in, the, in the moment, in the present. It is something that happened in the past that still has present impact and implications. In other words, what Paul's saying is that the gospel should be just as powerful right now as it was back then. And if it isn't, then you probably don't know the gospel. We talked about this, that many, many Christians, we, we, or people who think they're Christians, they, they treat the gospel like the kindergarten. And, and, and if Christianity is a big school building, the gospel is the kindergarten. And, and, and you get the ABCs and you get the one, two, threes, and then you move on to the deeper stuff. And then you get to 12th grade, which is the book of Revelation. It's always the book of Revelation that's 12th grade. But what Paul is saying is that the gospel is not the kindergarten. The gospel is the entire school building. And you never move past it, you move into a deeper understanding and reliance on it. That the gospel should have just as much power in your life today as it did the first day. That's what he says. That the same cross that saved you initially is the same cross that sanctifies you continually. The, the same cross that killed you initially is the same cross that continues to kill you continually. We don't like that part. This is why I've always been way more concerned. Like when some of us have incredible testimonies and I was this and I was that and, 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 and the Lord saved me and it, right? Some of you guys have incredible testimonies, but I am way more concerned about what God is doing in your life today than what he did in your life in 1984. I am way more concerned about what God is doing right now in this season than he did back in 2007. 
Because the gospel doesn't just have a gospel then power, it has a gospel now power. That's why Paul says the life that we now live, it didn't just affect me back then, it is still affecting and impacting me now, right now, Paul says. So, so here's what this means, okay? Let me, let me unpack this for you. If we really have died with Christ, what this, mean, what this means is the same cross that kills you is what it killed you, past tense, is the same cross that you now use to crucify the flesh. So you literally are dead. The old you is dead. The old you has passed away. The old you is extinct. You are no longer under the power of sin or under the power of the law. That you is dead. And so the way that you continue to grow in Christ is by taking the death certificate and going up to every sin and every idol in your heart and telling them you no longer have power over me. Every lesser than sin, idol, uh, identity, you go up to it and you show them the death certificate. I am dead to you now. You no longer have power over me. Now, I'm not saying you're never going to struggle with those things anymore. But what I'm saying is they no longer have power over you. Because Jesus took the penalty of sin so that he might also remove the power of sin. And one day he's going to remove us from the presence of sin. You know, and one of the things that we, we need to do a better job of is, it, it, we've talked about this numerous times, but in, in Titus chapter 2, Titus says, or well, Paul says to Titus, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, and it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, you might have thought that it's the law of God that makes you say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I just need more law. Give me more rules. Give me more do's. Give me more don'ts. But he says that it's not the, 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 the law of God. It's the grace of God that teaches you to say no. That the same grace that saves me is the same grace that sanctifies me. That the same grace that enabled me to believe in Jesus is the same grace that enables me to become like Jesus. It's the same grace. And so what I have to do in every area of my life, not only do I bring the death certificate, but I have to in that area taste and see that the Lord is good and that the Lord is better than whatever I am worshiping in that moment. Jesus says that he will, uh, uh, that anyone who comes to him will never hunger or thirst. And I think one of the mistakes that we make with that passage is that we assume that Jesus is just saying, come to me one time. But the way it's written in the Greek is those who continually and perpetually come to me will never hunger or thirst. But if you don't go to him, you will hunger and thirst. And you will go to empty cisterns instead of the well of life. The same grace that gets us in is the same grace that grows us up. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sanctifies us. The same grace that gives us new life is the same grace that, that must be at the center of that new life. And that's why this second point is so hard. I think the reason why this second point is so hard is because if the first point said, when we must die with Christ, that the message must be our foundation... His message must be the foundation of our life. That's what the first point was teaching. This second point teaches that not only must his message, the gospel, be the foundation of our life, but his mission must be the focus of our life. So, so a lot of us have heard a half a preached gospel, half-baked gospel, and you have been told about the content of the message, but you have never been told about the cost of the mission. Jesus says, count the cost if you are to follow me. 
He says, no, no, no general goes out to war without counting the cost. No builder starts to build without counting the cost. So it's not just the content of the message, it's the cost of the mission. He says, if you can't pay it, don't follow me. Don't come after me. Because I didn't just come to be your savior, I came to be your Lord. I didn't come just to be your pardon, I came to be your purpose. That's what we see here. Even in Ephesians 2, where it says that by grace you have been saved, it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ. And it says that God has literally established beforehand the good works that we will do. That his good work vertically results in good works horizontally. And I don't take glory for it because God already planned it. So, so, so for me to sit here right now as I'm preaching to you and think, man, I must be so acceptable before God because I'm preaching. No, no. God already knew that on this Sunday, uh, Easter 2023, 20, I would be the one preaching in this room. So he not only did the work, he does all the other works too. So if having the message as our foundation means being a disciple, then having the mission as our focus means making disciples. And we cannot make optional what Jesus has made mandatory. A lot of us have made extracurricular, like, oh, look at those people. They go to church every week? They're so zealous for Jesus, those folks. They make disciples? Oh, that's for the, the varsity. That's extra credit. No, no, no. When Jesus left, he gave us a very clear command. Go and make disciples. And you know what? One of the reasons why I believe that so many young adults leave the church the moment they get a chance to is because they only have heard half a gospel. They've only heard the do or the don't, not even the done, but then they've been told about pardon, but not about purpose. And so they think Jesus is just for the afterlife, not for this life. And so they go looking for lesser than purposes. So you have young men and young women who are going into the world and giving themselves up for a, 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 a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a career, politics, money, success, whatever it is, but they, we are built for purpose. God's given us purpose. But if we don't tell people about the purpose, we can't get mad when they settle for lesser purposes. And you can't blame them because their mom and dad have also settled for lesser purposes. We have been given a clear purpose, and that purpose is to make disciples. And in Scripture, there are sins of commission and sins of omission. Commission is when you do something you're not supposed to do, but omission is when you don't do what you are supposed to do. We are not just called to avoid sin. We are called to pursue righteousness. We are called to obey his commands. And his command is to make disciples. But here in, 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 in this region, what we've done is we have redefined what discipleship is. I talked about this during our discipleship series, that a lot of guys in my role, what they do is, is they, they, they don't actually look at what the Bible says discipleship is. They just relabel whatever they're already doing as discipleship. And so if they're doing Bible study, that's discipleship. If they're doing small groups, well, that's discipleship. If they're doing Sunday night, Wednesday night, go figure. That's discipleship. They just relabel what they're already doing. It's super convenient. <laughs> and unfortunately, instead of us being made in the image of God, we have made God in the image of us. 
That's why Jesus, in your version of Jesus, talks like you, votes like you, walks like you, hangs out with people like you. It's convenient how he's made just in your image. That's real convenient. And that's why there's so much division in the church, because when my version of Jesus doesn't agree with your version of Jesus, what do we do? Well, what we should do is go back to the real Jesus. So in, 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 in this region, it's all about if you preach the right length and you offer the right programs and you, if you host the right events and you sing the right songs at just the right volume, that's Christianity. That's discipleship. And so you have children who are not being discipled by parents, but parents are relying on church programs and Christian schools. And so you have little Billy who knows his GPA and his yards per carry, but has no idea what the gospel is. Jesus didn't say to go and make athletes. He didn't say to go and make scholars. He didn't say go and make elder brothers. He didn't say go and make businessmen. He said go and make disciples. And we don't get to redefine what he's already defined. And if it feels like I'm stepping on your toes, I apologize. I'm aiming for your heart. Because Jesus Christ didn't die for us to wear pastels once a year. He didn't die for us to do Easter egg hunts once a year, and he definitely didn't die for us to, for us to have awkward forced family reunions once a year. <laughs> he came and gave us his all, and the only response is to give him our all. If you think I'm trying to condemn you, I promise I am not. But sometimes conviction can feel like condemnation. I'm not trying to use guilt. I'm trying to remind you of the grace of God. Uh, one pastor said this. He said there was one time when he was preaching gospel in just pure, unadulterated uh, uh, grace. And this woman came up to him and she said, I don't like the message you're preaching. And he said, why? She's like, because I came to church thinking that this was religion, where I do some and God does some, and now you're telling me it's redemption, that I do absolutely nothing, and Jesus did absolutely everything. She's like, you know why I don't like grace? Because if what you're saying is true, there is nothing that Jesus can't ask me for. But if it's religion, there are certain things that are yours and certain things that are his. But when it's redemption, he gave all of himself to you, and now the only response is for you to give all yourself to him. Amen? Amen. And that's why I, I intentionally wrote the word that we may live for him. It's not a, that you must live for him, but you may. See, when you, when you come to Jesus, he changes your motivation. He changes your heart. You, 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 you go out into the world and you start doing the things maybe you were doing before, but you're now doing them for the right reasons. Because some of us are doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. We're doing the right thing in order to be loved, in order to be accepted, in order to be approved. Then you come to know Jesus and you start doing the right things for the right reasons. And he changes. So that's why I wrote the word may, that you may live for Jesus. It's a privilege to live for Jesus. It's not a duty. It's a delight. And again, it's not even that we live for him because it could come off as like religious. No, no, it's he lives in us. 
So even in the, in the moments where I'm not living for him, my Savior still lives in me. And glory to God for that. And it says in the text, you know that this isn't religion or condemnation that I'm trying to offer you because Paul says in the text that he did it because he loved us. He loved us. So, so it's not like we believed and then he loved us. We obeyed and then he loved us. No, no. He loved us, did all of it for us, and the love that he has displayed for us is unmerited, undeserved, immeasurable, and unfathomable. It is a one-way agape love, and it's a love based on perceived value, the Bible says. Agape love is not actual value because we're not that valuable in and of ourselves, but it's love based on perceived value. He perceived us as valuable, and we know that we are, we are worth a lot because he was willing to pay for us at the cost of his life. The price tag was set by him. And when you understand that, your walk is no longer marked by earning, but by effort. It's no longer marked by perfection, but by progress. So that even, like I said, when you're not living for Christ, Christ is still living in you. Because the same Savior who called me, the same Savior who uh, rescued me and saved me is now the same Savior who empowers me, reminds me, and secures me. So if the word faith means to rest in something, to lean on something, the question you have to wrestle with today is this. What are you resting in? What are you leaning on? If, if the Lord were to take you today, what is your standing before him? Is it what you have done for Jesus or what Jesus has done for you? I got to remind myself of this every single Sunday because I am a, a performer and achiever at heart. I have that, that, that idol in my heart. And so every week, if the sermon doesn't go the way I thought, I, I'm, I'm moping around and I'm, you know, shuffling my feet, head down. And w one day, the, the Lord re revealed to me a passage that completely changed everything that I thought. He, he, when, when the disciples, they come back and they look at Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe uh, what happened. And uh, 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 the, 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 the demons, they, they submitted to us. And we were doing this and we were doing that. And Jesus says, rejoice, not in that demons flee, but rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus says, rejoice not in what you do for me. Rejoice in what I have done for you. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't actually know Jesus and you're not actually known by Jesus and you're not actually united with Jesus, there's nothing you can do in your flesh to get your name written in the book of life. Some of us think that Jesus writes it in pencil and then when we do good, he, 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 you know, he makes it darker and then when we do bad, he starts erasing it a little bit. No, no, either the book, either, either your name is in the book of life through, by his blood or it's not in the book of life. So as we conclude today, here's what we learn. The gospel of Jesus from a human perspective is so foolish that it's hard to believe. It is so counterintuitive that we are prone to forget it. It is so scandalous that we are offended by it. And yet at the same time, it is so powerful that regardless of how we feel about it, it can still save us. And at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he ends the Sermon on the Mount by asking people to make a decision. He provides two ways, two paths. He says, either you will adore me or abhor me. Either you will uh, kill me or crown me. You will either be totally cold or hot. But what you can't do is be lukewarm. 
So the question you have to wrestle with as we conclude this morning is, do you believe in God or do you actually believe God? Because you might be sitting here thinking, well, I believe in God. This sermon ain't for me. I believe in God. If I were to take a systematic theology test, I would answer, believe in God. Yes, me. But even the demons believe in God. And they shudder. At least they shudder. But we, you can believe in God and not actually believe God. I can believe in the concept of God and not actually believe his words about me and his work for me. And so what you have to ask yourself today, not tomorrow, because tomorrow's not guaranteed, today, right now, not as it do I believe in God, because even some of the strongest opponents to the gospel will say they believe in some sort of God, but do you actually believe God? Because if you're not willing to pay the cost of the mission, then do you really understand the pearl of great worth that you've been given? Because Jesus says that the gospel is like a pearl of great worth and that when you find it, you sell everything to get it. One of the things that I want to say here before I end is this. In, I was listening to this pastor talk the other day and he said, when Jesus resurrected on Sunday, he had the ability one of the things that, one of the new powers he had, one of the tricks he had is that he was able to walk through walls, right? Because it says later on that the disciples were in the upper room and he just didn't even have to open the door, just walk, walk in, right? And he says, if that's true, why did Jesus roll the stone then? If Jesus could have just walked through the stone, why did he roll it away? And here's what he said. He said, the only reason why he would have rolled it away was not for him to get out, but for his people to get in. Because he knew that those people who were prone to wander and doubt, if they didn't see it with their own two eyes he was gone, they wouldn't have believed it. So he didn't do it so he can get out. He did it so that you and I can get in. Paul says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. But listen, if your life is in Christ, then death is in gain. It's loss. It's the worst day of your life, actually. Jesus Christ came not just to be our pardon for the next life, our Savior, but he came to be our Lord and our purpose for this life. Amen. Welcome to Church at Home. My name is Olivia and this is Whitney. Hi, good morning. Uh, we are super excited to celebrate with you today the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Yes. Um, it's, it's a big day. It means a lot. Um, this day changed everything. Yes. Um, and we are so glad. Uh, we would love to know where you're watching from, who you're worshiping with in yeah. your homes, or maybe if you're by yourself, let us know where you are. Stephen is moderating and he would love um, to hear from you. Um, if you have any prayer requests, you can also submit um, those to him or use this QR code right above my head um, to let us know if you need more resources or um, if you need prayer. We, we would be honored to pray for you um, and your family. Yes, and we hope that as you've gathered together today, like whoever you're watching with or if you're watching by yourself, that you are still able to worship with us. And we're just excited to celebrate Easter with you and just to kind of share from the message today the things that have yeah. touched our heart. And I pray that 
the message has reached you as well and you're yeah. pondering and you're thinking because it really <laughs> was a powerful message Woo. today. And chat with Stephen. Let him know what the Lord's doing in your life. Let him know kind of the things you're asking yourself or the yeah. questions you may have. Feel free mm-hmm. to reach out to him. And so we're going to revisit that verse in Galatians 2, 20. One verse. That's all we looked at today. One verse. <laughs> very, very powerful. Um, so Galatians 2, 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm. And it's such a beautiful verse. And I love that we got to unpack that today. So uh, what's something maybe new that God taught you today? Um, A new truth or something Mm -hmm. that convicted you, confronted you? What did the Lord, what stood out to you, Olivia? I wrote down so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I really... um, loved when he, he said, which I know he said this before, but it, it just really stood out to me today. Um, Jesus did not come to give advice to good people. He came to give atonement for dead people. Um, and then he went into talking about, you know, um, when people ask you about Jesus, is it about yourself or is it about mm-hmm. Jesus? Um, is your response about what you've done or is it uh, like, is it about what Jesus yeah. did um, for us? And um that's just very humbling, you know, when you think about all that Jesus did for us to be able to have a relationship with Him um, and to walk in that newness yeah. of life. Um, it's very humbling to think, wow, like this is nothing about what I've done, yeah. but it's all about what Jesus did for me. Um, and I, I definitely, we definitely don't <laughs> deserve it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's easy when we talk through these things to think through what have I done? Mm-hmm. Um, or let me think of the list of great things yeah. that I can tell other people. Um, but when you really are just resting in what Jesus did, that really does change your perspective um, a lot because, I mean, we really did. We, we could never do what he did. Yeah. And I love that the message today really spoke to maybe those of us that don't know Jesus. Yeah. So like if you're yeah. watching today and you're like, wow, I heard the gospel today. Like mm-hmm. I heard how it's mm-hmm. not on me. There wasn't anything I could do mm-hmm. and it's all on him. But I think it also spoke to those of us who are believers who've been walking with the Lord for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I even loved how he said, we have to remind ourselves um, that it's finished like daily by spending time in God's word, by spending time with him, because I fall so easy back into that yeah. pattern of let me, let it just be on me. Let yeah. me, let me prove, let me strive. Let me you take a seat, Jesus. I got this. Right. <laughs> So he said, like, we have to, like, re-evangelize ourselves. Yes, like, We have to yes. constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, mm-hmm. those of us who know the Lord as well. And yeah. so um, I just love that reminder that I'm so quick to fall back into the things that don't matter. Yes, yes. And, and even when he was talking about, like, Jesus didn't just come to give pardon. Mm, um, he came yeah. to give us purpose. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes we, well, not a lot of the times we can be in a place where, like, what is my purpose? What is God mm. going to do? with me. Um, and we'll kind of get more into that later, but like God has such a beautiful purpose for us yeah. to accomplish his goal and, and, and that's to glorify himself and to make his kingdom known. And I, um, to make disciples is our, our biggest thing that he asks us to do. And that's just following him and yeah. teaching others about him. Uh, it doesn't have to be super complicated, <laughs> but I think for some of you, you're probably sitting there and you're wondering, what is my purpose? Um, why am I, why am I here? What, why am I stuck in this situation? Yeah. Or how can I have hope to look forward? Um, and 
even just knowing that someone who created you in his image designed you uh, to live with purpose for him and his glory is a beautiful thing. And so I want to encourage you, um, don't lose hope. Um, Don't forget. Oh, it's making me emotional. Sorry. Um, Don't forget that you're so loved and seen by someone who loves you and created you for such great purpose. Um, Not just... um, to live and idolize other things or to misplace your identity, but to be rooted in who he is and everything else to flow from that. Yes. Uh, you know. And that call to make disciples yeah. isn't just for pastors on the platform. No, It's for no. you in your home. It's for yeah. you with your children. It's yeah. for you with your family and your mm-hmm. neighbors and the people that God's placed in your life. And mm-hmm. so don't think too that maybe that you can't fulfill that purpose because it's too complicated yeah. or it's for someone else. No, that, that purpose, that call to make disciples is the mission of our life. Yeah. It's something that's yeah. not supposed to be overcomplicated. It's yeah. we do it while we go, yeah. while we follow Jesus. We then invite others along yeah. to see what it's like to follow And we for him. sure can overcomplicate that um, and we can speak Christianese. As, yep. as we would do say. that choreography like yeah do that about. christian choreography you know <laughs> um and the reality is it's simple the gospel is simple yeah. um jesus did what we could n- never do um and and because of that we can walk in freedom and a new identity yeah. um and he because of that then we have purpose to live for his name and his glory yeah. um it really does it doesn't have to be complicated and yeah. i think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to maybe meet expectations mm. that someone else has set for us. That kind of goes to that theological trauma yeah. of do these 12 things and you'll be a great Christian yep. or you'll be a great mom or dad or sister or brother, like mm-hmm. fill in the blank. And it honestly has done a disservice because it makes us intimidated yeah. by that, you know? And we love to add our part to what Jesus mm-hmm, has done. So mm-hmm. he's done this. Now let me bring in yeah. my good works or do this mm-hmm. or do this. And it's it's none of that. It's only yeah. by God's grace and what he's done that we're saved. Yeah. Amen. Um, Okay, the next question. Paul says that when someone believes in Christ, they are crucified with him at the cross. What does being crucified with Christ actually mean? Um, Why was it needed for our salvation? And then the second part of this is what does living, like Christ living in me actually mean as well? Yeah, I love that he broke that down, that like, we die with Christ. He's our savior. Mm-hmm. And then we, so that we may live for Christ, that he's mm-hmm. our Lord. And it really, you can't have one without the other. Like yeah. you can't just take Jesus as your savior and not take him as Lord. Yeah. That's not, that's not what he came to do. Like yeah. he wants all of you. And and I loved, we were talking about this a little bit, like when he said, if Jesus isn't everything, then he's nothing to you. Oof. And just how convicting that statement <laughs> is. Like, dang. <laughs> but so many times we come to Jesus and we're like, here's, of me, like, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep this 10% or here's this area of my life, but not this. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Jesus wants all of us, every single part. And that's the beautiful part about the sanctification process too, is he doesn't Mm -hmm. just want the pieces that we want to give. He wants all of us, the dirty, the shameful, the sinful, the broken, the hurting. He wants all those pieces of our And you don't have to clean yourself up either. Like he's not asking you to be perfect or to be pristine and look great. That's the part about sanctification that that hurts, especially when you're like me and you're a real follower. You're like, let me do all the right steps and get to this right place when it's like, no, come as you are. Yes. Um, And God's going to meet you where you are at um, with his perfect kindness, you know? Yes. there's so much there. Um, even when we were talking about, um, uh, is Christ living in you? Mm-hmm. Um, man, what a question. It's, it's like, do you live for him? Yeah. Is that a part of your everyday life? And it goes back to if he's not everything to you, 
then he's nothing. I, I liked how it's, he said the same cross that saved us initially sanctifies us continually. Like it's that same word, that mm-hmm. crucify, that that word mm-hmm. being in that perfect tense where it's continually. Like it's a past event that has present implications. Yes, so yes. So it's so beautiful. It happened, but it changes everything. It does. It changes everything. And, and yeah. he says, uh, he said at the end, you know, the gospel message of Jesus is the foundation of our life if Christ is. Uh, living in us, yeah. um, and and that is shown by the way that we spend time with the Lord, um, mm-hmm. and reminding ourselves of that of the gospel. This is what you've mentioned earlier. But if we're not reminding ourselves of the gospel, we're going to settle for much lesser things. Yeah. Um, God's timing's perfect. When you wait on the Lord, uh, it's hard. Um, and but also when you're in God's word and you're reminding yourself every day mm-hmm. of who he is and what he's done for you you're going to be able to recognize what those lesser things are yeah. um, and be able to call them out and say hey this is not yeah this is not what God would want me to be idolizing or because there's so many yeah. areas where we believe those false gospels yes. and if we aren't spending time in the truth of God's word it's so easy for us to fall and back and then it's into like this. more like you know, like scales on your eyes a little bit. You, yeah. you forget the truth of what God's word actually says when you're just mm-hmm. resting in your own opinion yeah. or in someone else's opinion. Um, it's really easy to get swayed. Yeah. And honestly, it's a distraction to the real message of the mm-hmm. gospel. Um, not this false gospel that says yeah. <laughs> A plus B equals C when it's just Jesus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but it's so easy. And then yeah. he said, um, his min- his mission is our focus. Yes. So discipleship, we're called to be not only gospel centered, but we're called to be disciple makers, mm-hmm. um, and that's our purpose. Yeah. In our lives. And I like that he said we can't make make optional what God has made mandatory. Ooh. And I was like, okay, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really clear. I mean, Jesus is like, go and make disciples, <laughs> and he's like, all right. <laughs> See y'all later, <laughs> you know, yes. but it's like the reason why we do that mm-hmm. is because we know the weight of what Jesus did yeah. for us and we know the ways that Jesus has changed our lives and we want that for others yeah. as well. And we don't have yeah. to do that on our own. We have the Holy Spirit, no, yes. the helper that he's given us. We have his word, we have community. And so well, and it's as you're going, yeah. as you go to the grocery store, <laughs> as you drive in your car, yeah. <laughs> as you call people on the phone, it doesn't, it's, a, it's not this big complicated thing it's in the mundane yeah that we share the gospel yeah and honestly probably the most people yeah. are watching you you know when you in those ordinary moments <laughs> how you do you talk to the checkout lady <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know um <sighs> i like this last question too it says in the passage we're told christ gave himself for us he did it because he loved mm-hmm. us what type of love is paul actually describing here and how does knowing christ's heart change the way you view and experience the gospel Ooh. I think it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't become something that I overcomplicate or that I strive to prove. Mm-hmm. It's something that I get to do. Like yeah. I, I, Jesus yeah. has saved me and I get to live my life in response to yeah. that. Yeah. Like the joy of our salvation. And oh, living man. in response to that and understanding and knowing his perfect and complete love. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a perfect love. Mm-hmm. It's not like any love that we can yeah. muster up or try to experience on earth. It's so different um, because He's our Heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really humbling, to be honest, I think, um, because it does change the way that we view and experience the gospel. Because then it's like, wow, you love me even though blank. Even though, yeah. Even though I'm sinful and broken (laughs) and jacked up, like God loves me and He sees me and He's gracious to me. Mm. 
because of Jesus. Yes. You know, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that at all. Um, and yeah. so I hope that you can know that today. Yes. You know, that's my heart. And I know it's both of our hearts um, yeah. and Stephen's too, that you would understand the gospel and know God's great, perfect love for you. And if you're sitting there and you're questioning that and you don't mm-hmm. know, or maybe you're like, that sounds great, but I have my own trauma and my own pain and I don't know mm-hmm. how to experience that. Like, please reach out to us and talk to us because we want to share with you more about Christ's mm-hmm. love for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can chat with Steven or you can fill out the QR code and one of us will reach back out because we want yeah. you to know and experience that love. And maybe you are a believer who's been walking with Jesus, but you're like, man, I need to get back in his word daily. Yeah, I need yeah. to be spending time with my heavenly father so I know how to live for him. And if that's you, like we have resources that we want to give you. Mm-hmm. So let us know mm-hmm. because we want to be able to help you right where you are. Um, And to help you, we have to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. Every day. It's nothing we can do. (laughs) All day long. It's been done. (laughs) Praise God, it's been done. Yes. And we're praying for your conversations. Even if you're by yourself, I pray that you would call somebody who you trust, um, who knows Jesus, and ask them the hard question. Mm -hmm. Or share that you're struggling or that you're excited about this. Or I just, I don't want you to do this alone. We are not made to do this walk alone. Um, God made us for community and to be with each other. And that's the importance of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, we are grateful for you. And I hope that you know how loved and valued you are. And if there's anything you need or you want to get more connected, uh, you can go to the website uh, at missionchurchmemphis.com slash ministries. Um, There's a place to, I think, if you need to email us, if you have a question or you don't see uh, what you need, let us know. We're happy to help you in any way that we can. Um, If you are in the area, maybe today you were out of state with your family. (laughs) We missed you today. Um, But if you are in the area, we would love for you to join us at our Memphis or Collierville locations. Um, Yeah. yeah, And if not, we'll see you here next next week. week. (laughs) Right here at 10 o'clock. We love you guys, and we hope you have a happy Easter. Yeah, thank you so much for for joining us and uh, we're praying for you guys this next week.